Hi everyone, this is Chelsea Lee Truscott, breakup coach and podcast host of Thank You Heartbreak, and this is episode 83. This is day 18, question 18 from my February challenge, and I like the direction this is going in because as you'll hear with the first line of this question, it's putting romance to the side and really shifting gears and focusing on the change and the relationship you have with yourself. I think it's important that the last 17 days have been pretty much focused on the other and our feelings about the other, our motivations, our intentions, the questions that we're asking ourselves about the other. But in doing that, it can feel like a lot, 17 days of that, of divulging and discovering And, uh, right, I mean, it's all kind of the drama, but then it is a part of the purging. It's a part of accepting, of seeing yourself really, and getting it out of you, getting it out of you. And that takes time and that takes work. It takes work. I mean, it takes answering questions, asking yourself, trying to dig into that truth. And then with that, then being able to shift away and come into yourself more. And so I'm really, really excited about being at this place in the challenge. I think that underneath a lot of our heartbreak is the want to improve upon ourselves. And often we get confused thinking that love improves us or is the only influential power in our life, the only thing that can really impact us, inspire us forward. And we hinge everything almost on our relationships, our romantic relationships, thinking that that is what is going to bring us into being. That is what is going to establish us. That is what is going to provide us with a future is love. And yet what happens when you're single is it comes back to you. And the reality is that we can mistake the grief that we have or the upset or the longing that we have for someone else. And what it really is is this longing to be able to direct your own life and realizing, wow, what was I excited about that was totally separate from my relationship? And so it becomes this this reality, really, of it all comes back to me. That can be really exciting, actually. As my guest yesterday said, there's something incredibly exciting about feeling like you get to design your life now. And instead of letting that blank canvas or that opening intimidate you, and instead of mistaking it for lack, really see it for possibility, opportunity, and just having this opening to grow into for the light to get in. I mean, how crazy would it be if we just trusted in the timing of our life, if we trusted in the endings of our life, that that is exactly what is meant to happen 
for us to really come into ourselves, like to be able to see, okay, it ended and it needed to end now in whatever way it did and truly on to the next with yourself. Don't overlook it, appreciate it, but don't hang on there because life is waiting for you. Life is calling for you. And I truly believe the best way to get over heartbreak is to fall in love with your own life, is to really begin putting so much heart and so much drive and so much vision into your life, into creating a sustainable life for yourself. Lady Gaga once upon a time said that the difference between a man in a career is a career will never wake up in the morning and leave you. Now, I've been a romantic, I don't even know, I've been called a romantic at least for most of my life. I'm beginning, you know, I think I'm a realist, but just put it this way, that I've always felt that love was the end-all be-all. My life has really been devoted to my relationships I have treasured them. I have made them, at many times, the center of my world. The issue becomes that if you don't have a world outside of this world that you've created for your relationship, then that's not really love. That's a bubble that you live in. I know for me that the most nurturing relationships and romances I have been in are the ones that took place outside of that bubble. I want to read you something that I wrote once upon a time when I had first had the first taste of creating a world, a vision, a happiness even, outside of a relationship. And back when I wrote this, uh, this was a revelation for me. This was a first. I realized sitting on my therapist's couch today that it was the first time I had a vision that excited me, that I was building toward a future, a career that could provide me a stable kind of happiness, a happiness that came from something other than another human being, a happiness that I had to have created. So often my happiness has been dependent upon my feeling close to a man in my life. And sure, while there were those years I perhaps haphazardly was writing a book, which of course called upon the visionary in me, I was also so ruined by feelings then, by all that I was giving to my boyfriend, which he is at no fault for, but nonetheless, consequentially, left me with nothing to give myself. Today it hit me, for the first time, that I was finally energized by my own life, rather than the well-being and growth of another's. For a few moments, I was stunned by this difference, and for all the self-interest I was now demonstrating. I was proud. As you're moving through your own heartbreak, I want to encourage you to look for ways to be proud. What would you need to do in order to feel proud of yourself? What would you need to do in order to see that you're taking your life back into your own hands? What would you need to do to see that what your next steps are have nothing to do with being dependent upon another person. What could you do that is all yours? Let's get into day 18's question. 
date, February 19th, 2019. Today I want to feel uplifted. Uplifted. Hmm. Yeah. My whole being uplifted. Also my thoughts. I want them to come from a higher place than they've been coming from. Rather than being so caught in my heart or so hung up in my mind, I want them to come from a higher power in a way. Day 18's question is, romance aside, what are some changes you've been trying to make in your life that has to do solely with yourself? What's held you back from making these changes? What would it take to finally make them a priority? Hmm. I was talking to my cousin today. I went out with him and it was kind of the first time really that we had ever had this one-on-one conversation for hours. You know, of course I've been with him all throughout the years at family gatherings, but then you realize you're adults that have never been out with each other. So how much of each other do you really know? It was a lovely, enriching experience and something got brought up. Many things got brought up, but The aspect of change, how to make a change, did get brought up. I was talking to him about how there's been a consistent pattern in the guests that I've had on Thank You Heartbreak and really the pivotal moments for them when things changed. So many of them have said it was a conscious decision to change. It was a choice to finally do things differently. It was a choice to stop feeling a certain way. It was a choice to stop taking a certain action. It was a choice to stop feeling bad for yourself. It was a choice to stop chasing whatever they were chasing. It was a stop to holding themselves back. This resonates with me because the hardest things I've ever had to overcome in my life, the hardest, and I'm going to tell you, all happened because one day I woke up And I said, today is the day that I will never do this again. You know, some people wean themselves off of pills, for example. There's no such thing as weaning off anything in my mind. It has to be that I'm done. Of course, there's gradual things that happen that end up making you wake up and say enough. But I have to tell you, for as much as there's good things that happen, you know, clarity inspiring stories that make you want to take a bolder risk. I really feel like it's a lot of shit that happens. It's a lot of self-imposed shit. And I think you become very, very, very tired of yourself, tired of the way that you're living. This is what's strange. Even before my eating disorder, I was so tired. I was so worn down of seven years of thinking about my weight and being plagued by it, that one day I will never forget waking up in Boston and saying, this is the day I will never take another diet pill. I never have taken one ever again. That also though was the day that I developed my eating disorder. I will stop eating. Now that sounds absolutely awful, but truly to start this, I know this might sound psychotic to us, But to end the pattern of self-hatred toward my body, I had to make a decision to stop 
doing the things I was doing to try to lose weight and to stop eating also. It's almost like I had to begin the worst thing I could do to myself, the most extreme version of this disorder in order to understand how it would be in that reality. You know, I really thought for so long that if I changed, if my body changed, then my mind would change with it. That would free me. All I needed was to go back to a certain weight so I could be who I was then. And I was searching desperately for freedom, for that feeling of moving freely through the world. I felt like my thoughts were holding me back. I felt like my body, my thoughts about my body was keeping me from doing certain things. And I so badly wanted to be unburdened by myself. And the reality is, is I thought that the answer lied on the other side of the disorder, of losing the weight. And by the way, when I say that I stopped eating and it was like this full-blown disorder, I mean, it was, I'm going to stop eating and that's going to help me lose 10 pounds and that, then that will be it. Of course, that was never it. That is never enough when you have an eating disorder. So it got blown out of proportion very quickly. But the way that I stopped and got onto this path of no longer having these thoughts about my body was to make a decision to change what I was doing. And though I changed what I was doing and that ultimately hurt me and it was really, really, really scary to see myself look like that. It was, um, it was just the scariest thing you've ever seen. It's like I had to do that in order to be in the position I'm in now where I no longer think about my weight. I no longer think about my body. I no longer feel that heaviness. I no longer think about what I'm eating. I've let that all go. Another example is my addiction to Adderall. This was much harder to overcome than my eating disorder. I will tell you that because I love big numbers. Seven years of thinking about my weight, a year of an eating disorder, eight years of my life devoted to that. Well, another eight years were devoted to my addiction to Adderall. And I know a lot of people will think that I was using that drug to feed an eating disorder I was saying I was over. I will tell you that that was not the intention. And believe me or not, that wasn't the intention. The intention of taking Adderall was that I wanted to stop the thoughts. Again, I wanted to channel my thoughts. Really, I think I was seeking mindfulness. I was seeking an ability to be able to handle my thoughts and be able to stop certain thoughts, to change my thinking, really. And rather than changing the way I was talking to myself, I took drugs that would shift my attention. So when I started to realize that writing was my way out of my eating disorder, I was introduced probably like a year later to Adderall. And I said I would never, ever touch a pill in my life. I had always been against drugs for myself, all of that. And I did it. I succumbed to it. And that ended up making me so about writing 
it almost became an addiction to writing. It became an addiction to another image of myself. So it was no longer my body, but it was my words. It was what people were reading, what I was creating there. And it was another form of escapism. It also blew out of proportion. And this should be saved for another episode. I mean, I would truly love to really explore the conversation and the confessions around Adderall use. I have read some of the bravest books by brave authors, and I've spoken to some of these authors about this, that the one chapter that they did not want to include and were even advised not to include was the chapter about their Adderall use, as if that was the most shameful thing amongst all the other things they've done, and I don't think enough people are willing to speak about it. I'm someone that will speak about anything, so... I would love to really go there. All I can say is that for eight years, I was so trapped by this drug. I went from five milligrams being like out of this world, you know, completely. I was like, I finished Ulysses. I can't even say the the name of the book, Ulysses. Um, I'm still not saying it right. To over 90 milligrams a day. Five milligrams to over 90 milligrams a day. Though my family didn't know this, I ended up at the hospital because I thought I had overdosed and I I couldn't breathe. It had become this thing where I had forgotten how many I had put it into my mouth. And I was trying to keep myself awake and alive and going and producing. And I didn't think I had it in me. I felt like I needed this smart drug to make me someone worth listening to. The bottom line is, though, that I woke up one day... And I said to myself, never again. Today is my first day, never again. My second day, still, never again. And I got it this time. I mean, I tried to do it before and I'd cut them in half and tried to do a little bit less and wean myself off. Never, never works for me. It was a decision. A challenge to my soul. Chelsea, promise yourself that you will stop treating yourself so badly. That you will stop abusing yourself because this is abuse when you know that something is wrong and not working for you. I have never fallen back on that promise to myself and it's one of the proudest things I've done in my life. I could really, I could almost cry about it. None of this would exist if I had not stopped taking Adderall. I remember thinking though, you know, at one point, oh my God, I overcame an eating disorder. I have to be able to overcome an addiction to pills. And then it became like, oh my God, I'm so severely depressed with my relationship and I can't let go of my relationship I overcame an eating disorder. I was 80 pounds. No one helped me do that. That was all me. I can let go of a relationship. And so on and so forth. And I started to realize I don't give myself credit for the changes I have made all on my own. No one holding my hand. And we sell ourselves short. Like Chelsea. You keep going back in your mind about your last relationship and it's sickening. It's just for what? 
Why am I keeping myself stuck here? Why am I punishing myself for freeing myself? It's like really, really, really being real about what that was. I cannot believe that I've taken on this narrative of hurt and feeling like a victim of something or feeling like just feeling pained by something. Like it's been a negative spin. Chelsea, this is the first time in your life that you let someone go before you hated yourself for being there. I should feel like I'm on top of the mountain, applauding myself for doing something I was never able to do. Forget how he handled it and how I've experienced the pain from that. Look at the biggest thing that it was done. For 10 years, you could never get out. And now you got out. Make that the center of your story. And so it's almost like, oh my God, think about the things in your life that you have overcome, that you have allowed yourself finally to make that change and be like, if I can do that, if I can go from 80 pounds, never having my period, looking in the mirror and seeing a skeleton and being so scared to put anything in my mouth because though I was terrified and everyone was terrified of what they were seeing, I was also even more terrified of what putting the weight back on would do to me now. Terrified. If I overcame that, if I overcame a drug that I was shoving down my mouth multiple times a day in bathroom stalls before I went to teach other people, that I was driving around insanely in Los Angeles trying to find doctors that would give it to me. If I got over that, I can let go of a story about a man that I know wasn't meant to be with me. I can let that go. I can rise above that. I can forgive it. I can appreciate it. I can change my behavior around this. I can change my dependency as another dependency. Why do we do this? Why are we always looking for something to consume our life? I say that we fear the opening that we will have. It's like we want to be so addicted to certain thoughts because we're so afraid of what will happen when those thoughts aren't there. And we forget that other thoughts, other things are going to come flooding in. But what if those are like the most empowering things? What if those are like about the projects that you've always wanted to do? I mean, let's say I gave up all the thoughts about my ex. What if I started dreaming bigger about how I want this podcast to be? What if I started envisioning the podcast being video in New York City and having people in New York City come and doing video with them? The question is, romance aside, what are some changes I've been trying to make in my life that has to do solely with myself urging myself into growth, listening to what needs to come next and to stop trying to gain so much knowledge before starting, to see that that perfectionism, that procrastination is fear. Fear. It's me putting the brakes on the dream. You know a change I want to make with myself is I want to go for it more. I want to make sure that I'm accelerating on the things I've put out into the world There's a quote. Well, I'm not even going to read it to you. Should I read it to you? 
It's from the Break Upward Journal, so it will come at another point down the road in an episode, but it's it's perfect for this. Let me read it to you. I'm often not recognized by the established powers, but I can establish myself. Oprah didn't get on Oprah. She became Oprah. This is by one of my favorite authors. Please read everything of hers. Tama Keeves. Oprah didn't get on Oprah. She became Oprah. I mean, really, when you think about the attachments that do nothing for you, literally, they keep you in the same place and you already know what that's all about and you're dissatisfied with it. Think about if you got rid of that, what opening you might allow yourself, how you might become so devoted, like I realized on my therapist's couch, to creating a vision that was mine alone, that had nothing to do with someone else's growth and putting my energy and my excitement and my hours into their dream as a distraction. What if I gave myself that? Not that I'd become the next Oprah, but I would be putting more out into the world that did not exist before. When I think of thank you heartbreak, I think these are conversations that did not exist before. I'm creating a place for people to go that did not exist before. Thousands of people are listening to this, and this did not exist for them before. So what type of change do I want to make in my life with romance aside? I'll tell you the romance of that, the romance of creating something for others when they need it most, creating and putting so much importance on conversations that a lot of people feel so much shame about, but they're universal to have conversations that feel enlightening. Conversations have saved my life. This is why I have a podcast. So I want to make sure that romance aside, I keep the promise I made to myself to even break up, which was to lead my own life and see how far I could take myself on my own because I had never trusted I could do it. And in order to do that, I have to keep on upping the ante. I have to make bolder risks each time. Another bold risk, another bold risk. And what's held me back from making that change? In life, it's been, you know, feeling like I have to be in a better position for it. So a better position knowledge-wise because, you know, fearing that you're a fraud, feeling like you're not good enough at something yet. You know, for me, it's like this has been such a humbling process. I realized that at first I felt like I never spoke when I was talking to my guests and I was like, how is this possible? Like, I don't even say anything. Then it became me talking a lot and talking a lot about my ex, which was completely like this gross testament, this gross reality of myself and really like the self-criticism of overcoming that. So what's held me back before is not wanting to be that way anymore, wanting to solve that and waiting to do something until that would no longer be there. Like until I'd be this perfect person at talking with people and no one in the world would have any complaints about it. And the reality is that you don't get blessed with that until you start taking action. Like I was never going to become someone that was good at a podcast, that was good at booking guests, 
of talking to anyone, of editing episodes, of turning this stuff out unless I started. Like no book that taught me how I should go about it, what I should do, what I need to have was ever going to be enough. The enough is doing the work because that's where the pride comes in. That's where the reality that I'm creating something that didn't exist before. Other things that have held me back. I'll just talk in general. My thesis at NYU was devoted to this. It was about the desire to be in the other. And that was really the narrative of how we hold ourselves back under this guise of, oh, we're chasing something. We're desiring something. We're in the race for it and how it's actually an excuse. So, you know, where we are and where we want to be. I feel like I was going to take this in a different direction, but what's coming to me is just more of what I was saying that you think, okay, this is who I am now, but if only I get to this place where I'm this way, then that will make all the difference. Then I will be able to do this, that, and the other. Then I will be qualified to do this, that, and the other. I will feel this, that, and the other, and that will allow me to behave like this, that, and the other. And it's this constant striving. But also the striving, because striving is good, but it's the striving with the narrative. Like what's fueling you is that you're lacking something now, that nothing is beginning yet. Nothing has begun for you yet. And what happens is you do that so long and then the fear becomes, well, what if I do get this? So what if I do become someone that can speak on a stage? What happens if I do create a podcast? What happens if I am in this beautiful, committed relationship and nothing changes in terms of like, I don't suddenly become free and what's the word when like nothing is going to happen to you? I'm not going to become immune to feelings or setbacks. I think we become a little bit afraid that, oh my God, I've devoted so much time and so much idealization into the dream, but what if the dream doesn't deliver me the results that I want? What if it doesn't actually free me? So instead of actually getting that dream, we keep chasing it because we're afraid that the dream won't bring us the relief that we're after. That held me back for years. That really held me back was it was so much of just being in the process of spinning my wheels and saying I was chasing something, I was after something and fearing that I guess like my eating disorder that once I got it, it wouldn't be enough. And the reality is, is that the relief comes from being in the work, from being in the striving and applauding yourself for it. So to answer the question, what would it finally take to make these changes a priority? Hmm. I mean, it takes you. It's a matter of you. How do you finally make it a priority? I think that you close your eyes and envision yourself there. Like, envision the feeling of what it is that you're trying to make a priority. What, what are these changes? It's not just the changes. It's not just being in a position of influence or being in a more beautiful home of being in a more loving relationship, it's the feelings. What is that feeling that you think that you're going to be free to? And it's seeing that and wanting it enough to really begin leaping for it. None of that vision is going to find you. You have to go out and make it. And 
you make it a priority. At a certain point, it's like enough is enough. Like I know what this is. Time to jump ship. Time to level up. Time to break upward. It's choices. You make things a priority by making a choice to prioritize this, by making promises to yourself, wanting so badly to see what you will become in the process, thinking about the changes that you want. Okay, you're doing it for that change, for an outcome, but you're also doing it because you're going to have to become someone in the process of going after that change, of going after that growth, after going after that goal. So focus on those goals, but focus on the reward of who you will have to become in the process of making radical shifts. That's what I'm thinking right now. I hope something there made sense to you. Today's quote is by one of my favorite authors, Barbara DeAngelis, listen, the future is whispering to you, not from in front of you, but from within you. Once again, listen, the future is whispering to you, not from in front of you, but from within you. Which reminds me of a little something I just said, which was that this vision you have of change, of the world that you're after, is not going to find you. You have to make your way toward it. You have to make it. It's not in front of you. It's from within you. The in front of you is that desire again, is that other thing that you're chasing. That's the in front of you. It's not in front of you. Your future begins in you. The future isn't out there. The future, for real, is in you now, is in making those determined choices, is in shifting gears. I think it was Steve Jobs that did a speech that spoke about that. If it is him, I'll link it in the show notes. But he talks about the whisperings of what you must do. Listen to the whisperings. So many people are telling us what we should do. I mean, here I am giving you encouragement and advice. I'm sure you've talked to so many other people, especially if you're going through heartbreak. And I just want to encourage you, find the people that will let you talk. Find the people that will help you be as honest as humanly possible with yourself. Because other people's advice, other people's vision for you can derail you. You don't want to be derailed. You want to go and be on your track. And being on track often requires you to get quiet with yourself, to allow the quiet, to shut out the noise, to stop looking for the distractions, and listen to the voice that tells you what you must do next. When I overcame my eating disorder, when I overcame my dependency on Adderall, when I overcame my codependency on men, believe me when I tell you that that voice, that whispering was always there. That whispering of what I needed to do, always, always there. My courage and my desperation to finally make the choice to listen and try on that voice and be open to see what might happen changed everything. You guys, I didn't go out and reinvent a wheel. I didn't go out and try to figure out what I needed to do. I simply listened and acted on it. Finally, those voices of what I needed to do in order to get myself out of this place, that voice was inside me all along. It was begging me to listen. 
And I was avoiding. And avoiding can become a story. You can make something out of it. You can do a TED Talk. But at the end of the day, the only way you're going to do a TED Talk about it is if you wake up and you say, I'm making the choice to make the change. Make the choice. Make the choice. Challenge yourself. Thank you guys for being here. And thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for showing up and honoring the reality that these conversations are important to you. 